There is also like the the weird of outliers like um, samurai, uh, not samurai shampoo. It's a cat. Um, Afro samurai. Oh. Afro samurai, which was oh, I can't remember who it is now. Um, oh. It's some American. <laughs> yeah, some American. American. Uh, Samuel L. <laughs> Jackson. That's it. Was the Jizza involved in some way? Because he loves to get involved with weird. I don't see him in in the in the article for yeah. Or Andrew W C K, not him either. Andrew W K, I don't think he's got anything to do with it, but who knows? No, but he um, loves he loves anime music. Okay, fair enough. He does like he, yeah. yeah, he's done a whole CD on like redoing and reinterpreting Japanese music. It's pretty good. Actually, it sounds uh, kind of badass. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hey, hey. Duncan. Hey. And Jeff. Yellow. So we rolled this topic like two months ago, <laughs> but then we kept putting it off with Escaflone, with the beginning of the year, with the end of the year, etc., etc. But now it's finally here. Much like anime's supposed dominance of the mainstream was supposed to finally come around, we were talking about times that anime has broken into the mainstream how normies relate to anime, um, kind of related to our recommendation thing, but stuff that doesn't involve us. Just when you're like, oh, hey, everyone's talking about your name, that sort of thing. <laughs> so um, for starters, uh, Duncan, I believe this is your topic, so we'll let you define it and give a little spiel, and then we'll be going into examples and theories of, of normies watching anime. <laughs> Yeah. Let's make this podcast as exclusionary as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we obviously are the kids sit, sitting in the corner uh, uh, with overlong hair, uh, looking sullenly down at our trainers, which obviously have Dragon Ball Z <laughs> characters on them. Um, but yeah, mainstream. What is mainstream? Mainstream is something which is accepted as normal. And the question I want to ask is, can anime ever truly be mainstream? Or will the breakout hits always be the exceptions, the things which are seen to transcend the anime label and just become a critically adored film or a kid's toy phenomenon? Can any work from here ever take the medium with it to wider acceptance? Or is it just doomed to always be fighting against the otherness of its origins and the perception that anything that uses cartoon abstraction is just for kids and i'm honestly not sure if if we've got the answer i'd like for that i think maybe sadly the answer is 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 a no Um, yeah my my first reaction to your statement is like yeah he got it in one that's that's probably it (laughs) i mean i think i think there's a better chance of the concept of mainstream going away than there is (laughs) like anime becoming mainstream truly what if the two events are interlinked yeah yeah like i can't imagine like you know uh, i I don't want to say ben put the word normie in my head and i don't want to say it anymore (laughs) but like i I can't i can't i can't person yeah i can't i can't imagine like my my uncle setting up his TiVo to watch like midnight anime because that's just the thing you do now i but it's, in, it's undeniable that there are anime that have made ingresses into the West 
you know, mm-hmm. capital T, mm-hmm. capital W. And those were almost entirely just, you know, it was the late 90s, anime was cheap. You could just, you know, do a quick dub, throw it on a time block to surround with cartoons, and just by virtue of it being on basic cable and you don't have a lot of options in the late 90s to to entertain yourself because you're probably not on the internet yet. And just, you know, by virtue of it being in the room, you know, gained cultural traction. Yeah, I think that there is a... The specific like late '90s, early 2000s breakout is is a combination of several factors. Um, at that point, a huge amount of like quote unquote Western imagination was being subcontracted out to Japanese studios. Mm-hmm. So people were used to limited animation. People were used to uh, it feels uncharitable to call it the jank of of anime, <laughs> but they were used to like the ways in which anime is not like this magic meticulous Disney style, like every single frame of painting sort of thing. Um, lots of lip flaps and non-moving stuff. And to combine with that, yes, the the fact that the uh, the industry was just pumping out tons of cheap anime. They saw the American and uh, European markets as a dumping ground for licenses. Uh, I think the infamous examples like Trigun was just like bought for pennies and then made this huge thing in the West just with heavy promotion and a good dub. Um, but you don't even have to have a good dub. You can do the Samurai Pizza Cat shit. Yeah, I was going to say, Samurai just like, Pizza Cats. <laughs> Where they didn't even, they just like made up a dub that seemed funny. Or you can just Robotech it, you know, speaking of, it's all in our minds because the Robotech Macross people finally cut a deal. But yeah, like just chop together a bunch of different stuff and then bring it over. And like a lot of people are very fond of Robotech and they don't even know about Macross, which I think points to another problem. Mm -hmm. And I think also one thing that cannot be overstated is the importance of the dub. Even if it's bad, like you are already excluding a vast majority of the population if you expect them to read while they're watching a TV show. And that's, that's not an anime thing. That's just, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, maybe it's, it might actually be specifically like an English speaking thing because we're mm-hmm. just used to all culture being <laughs> yes. for us and everybody else can deal with the subtitles. And then yeah. I think I don't even, I don't, I don't even think it's like a weird latent, like nationalism thing or like xenophobia thing of like, why should I have to read this? This is bullshit. It's just people aren't used to it. You know how they do it in places where English isn't their first language a lot of the time, like Sweden. What they'll have is they'll have these annotators. So they'll play this thing and they'll play it in English then they'll just have one guy talking over it with what they're saying. It's really weird. It's like... <laughs> it's like it's like your friend sitting next to you trying to tell you what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in a movie, a foreign movie or something. It's absolutely crazy. Like, you can't blame them, really, because I think a lot of problems with anime dubs, if we're talking about dubs, is that there's just some things that just don't translate to a very palatable sound or very or just palatable at all which isn't cringe as fuck for anime characters i'm talking especially the mascot characters like um you know monokuma or anything with a high high fucking pitched voice and then they say their own name somehow in their own sentences like (laughs) that stuff's just impossible to translate well and also impossible to fucking find a voice like Mm -hmm. but but on the other hand but on the other hand like attempts to localize not only uh, the language, but also the cultural landmarks. Like we mm. all know about like about Onigiri being hamburgers 
and yeah, like, ramen, donuts. Being, ramen being suit. Yeah. <laughs> and just like <laughs> that doesn't work either because the moment that you have any literacy, that stuff sticks out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that we're kind of going, we're going at this ass backwards about how ways, ways anime can break into the mainstream versus ones that have. But I do think that you're right that a good, that a good dub is, I remember in high school and college, like an anime, a, a, an interesting anime with a good dub was like, it was like you could recommend to anybody like Ghost in the Shell, Trigun, Cowboy Bebop all have very strong dubs, even for that era. Um, or in I mean, even the Evangelion dub is fairly high produced if if yeah. like riddled with with script mistakes, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is also part of mainstreaming. Um, and so being able to just be like, watch this like a TV show as opposed to like, OK, so you're going to be watching what's effectively a combination of a foreign film and a children's television program. So <laughs> strap in. When Jeff first first mentioned dubs, like my first thought was, ah, okay, that scales with w- what I know from my research into what what the actual probable probable true breakout hits in the cinema for anime are from the past twenty years, and there's only two which have really punched into the true like blockbuster range, and that's um, Spirited Away in two thousand and one, and Your Name. Uh, a couple of years back in 2016 and the reading about spirited away it's interesting like this is the first one on the first films where miyazaki says oh yeah i i thought you did it i was quite happy with the jo- job on- they did on the dub and for th- that faint praise from miyazaki the grumpiest of all grumpy old men um mm-hmm. indicates that they did something right and having looked into it the interesting thing is this is kind of a passion project for a figure who has now become slightly reviled, which is uh, John Lasseter, uh, who was mm-hmm. uh, head of Pixar at the time. Basically, due to a chance meeting when he was still a student, he's had this like relationship with Ghibli for like a good few years before um, Spirited Away. And when he he saw Spirited Away when he visited um, Ghibli's studio in uh, Japan when he was going to the, there to promote one of the Toy Stories. And he just got shown brief cuts of that and then basically started advocating to Disney saying, this is this guy's masterwork. It's going to blow up the Japanese box office and you're going to want to have the rights for this. And so make sure you get it right. Yeah. And it's still it's still interesting to have a certain vintage of Studio Ghibli film on DVD and Blu-ray where there will be a requisite like intro by John Laster where he'll just be like, you've made a really good decision to buy and watch this movie, (laughs) Uh, which is which is I mean, I think it's that kind of curation that often is necessary for anime to to break into the mainstream. But it feels so weird now to someone to be like, don't worry, I know there's going to be a lot of like yips and yaps and you won't know what's going on. But this is a good movie. Spirited away. (laughs) There's a two hour documentary called Arigato Lassasan, which uh, (laughs) Ghibli made in sort of the... uh, the same way they made mini documentaries about the release of um, like Kaguya, Kaguya yeah. and um, The Wind Rises. Uh, they made a, this documentary showing how Lasseter helped Miyazaki see the way that Disney would take care of this film and and the way that they planned basically build critical reception first. You know, it's, it's the, the quote-unquote Oscar bait strategy which has become so common these days. You get show it on a, a limited run, you build a critical consensus, and then you put it out to a wider a set of things. And with Spirited Away, because it was this masterwork, and I think it still does does deserve that, that 
term to be used it yeah. you, you show it to someone and they go okay that was that was w- way better than i imagined an anime could be mm-hmm. and by sheer word of mouth it it managed to break out of its perception as just a ca- another cartoon and it has interestingly sort of carried ghibli with it afterwards ghibli's become enough of a household old name that people go okay if there's something about this this one which is interesting i'll i'll watch this one as well and i just wanted to mention and then talking about john lasseter is a, a perfect bridge into this that on the consumption side anime has not really broken in to the mainstream but on the production side the influence of anime on people making shows and on people influenced by those subsequently is undeniable like somebody mm-hmm. was very recently canceled for pointing out that hey a lot of young adult stuff is kind of derivative of avatar the last airbender and you cannot escape the fact that avatar is anime made by and for western people and for the most part for like cartoons made for adults uh in western markets it's you know comedy it's mostly uh like situational stuff but for kids they are more used to having like the overarching plots and you can see this sort of starting to creep in with some of the uh sort of the crossover hits like your adventure times and your steven's universe where you have that that mentality being more you know readily accepted and you know maybe in a generation we're going to see just straight up you know what we would consider you know in the in the style of anime without ever actually just bringing things wholesale over from a, an outside market yeah i do think that uh there is that comment about about avatar which has spawned a whole video that i guess we'll link fine um but <laughs> i'm so unaware of this video <laughs> but the idea that that whether or not the content touches on on east asian aesthetics like mm-hmm. anime as a production mod, mod model is undeniably effective, um, especially if you can pressurize a bunch of poor young Chinese, South Korean or Japanese animators to really keep your budget nice and lean. Um, that, yeah, this, these production committees putting together these ideas and then kind of pipelining them through. I mean, uh, both Avatar and its sequel, Legend of Korra, used uh, South Korea and Studio Mir, except for one season of Korra that used uh, Studio Perot. Um, but yeah, like these are basically just replacing the top sediment of creatives and executives with Western executives and Western creatives, and then just basically producing anime. Yes, it is a model that has more or less defined how the animation industry has continued to grow. And yet it's still considered like there's still... I mean, part of that is just like the bias against like weeb culture, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that it that besides the the big imports of the of the early 80s and 90s, uh, like Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon, and then Ghibli also rans breaking through in the 2000s and 2010s. Like, I think those are the big waves. And otherwise, people don't really pay attention to anime. It's still it's still necessarily just some weird thing that some people finally watch. Like, I don't know, like, is is My Hero Academia mainstream? Nope. I hear about it all no. the fucking time, no. but like, no one knows what it is who isn't already immersed in anime. I mean, mm-hmm. is Demon Slayer mainstream? It's massively successful all over, but... Just about Demon Slayer, really quickly, we're hearing all this stuff about how much Demon Slayer has, has grossed. Like, it is now, I think, the highest grossing uh, anime film in Japan ever, and one of the highest grossing films. 
it's not actually the highest in terms of actual ticket sales. That still belongs to uh, Spirited Away by about a 10 million uh, margin, closely followed by Your Name and the Pokemon movie. And I think the Pokemon phenomenon deserves that yes. that that word attached to it like um andy was telling us before how every he has a, had his diary where every day he got up he played pokemon <laughs> i watched pokemon i watched it actually yeah. so, so that's that's an interesting question did you ever play e- either the either the the digital games yeah, or I still play Pokemon today. I still play every single game that comes Andy's out. And a weeb. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like, I have Pokemon cards. I don't collect them anymore. But I do also know that there are... I have friends of friends who are still collecting and playing Pokemon cards. Okay, like, I was going to ask. That, that's, that's the distinction. Like, did you ever collect them and not play them? Or was it always collecting always an adjunct of playing? This is going a bit off topic. I'm just I curious. was playing... As a kid, I was playing it as... And collecting it to play. And then it slowly died down as all phenomenons did. Wizard of the Coast is still making mint out of Pokemon cards, and Pokemon is still still as strong, if not stronger than ever. People are talking about it all the time. Pokemon is one of those weird things where I feel like it just got eaten by Western culture, and it Pokemon is as generically global a fad as Mario would be. Like no one thinks of like Mario as they think of him as Italian first, not Japanese, <laughs> if they think at all. Um, which is a very interesting sleight of hand when you think about it. But um I don't know. It's similar to how when I was little and I was watching Yu-Gi-Oh! like after school um in like the fourth or fifth grade like i didn't think of myself as watching anime and it's still weird now when people are like what's your first anime and i'll usually answer trigun even though i was watching tons of Yu-Gi-Oh! and vainly trying to understand the plot because it was aired in non-sequential order thanks to <laughs> thanks to serialization uh turns out it doesn't matter the plot makes no sense <laughs> but yeah <laughs> i was exactly the same as you as well i also didn't consider pokemon to be anime and then when i started getting to anime i was like Oh no! Actually, Pokemon is anime. What the fuck am I chatting about? Yeah, I love this shit. Right. I, and I think that that is the number one thing: is that to even watch anime, you have to opt into it. Anime right now, it is firmly a niche hobby that you have to decide to get into. Whereas yeah. mainstream is just something that you can't get away from. And I don't think that barrier will ever break. And I was I kind of joked about like, oh, the concept of mainstream is what's going to go away. But now people are all siloed into their you know their streaming services that they go to and like i mean like disney is now putting out more serialized stuff and like netflix is creating like you know quote-unquote western anime all the time like my kids love kipo my kids are watching avatar and mm-hmm. I could see it very easily them just, you know, even if I wasn't their dad, like them just ending up watching anime on their own because it's like, oh, it's, you know, I'm on this platform and there's a whole bunch of it over there. So I'm, I'll just go check it out. Yeah, just the number of times that I've booted up Netflix and, and it just like immediately rushes in my face like My Hero Academia, my, you want to watch My Hero Academia? Come on, come on. Or like, we got Demon Slayer, please. And it's funny that like it is presented as animation, not as anime. They, they're really trying to... They don't want their they don't want the nicheness of the hobby to to be visible. They want it to be something that you're offered as effortlessly as they offer Kipo. So yeah, yeah. I, I've you know I've um I've had many of like parents uh, friends of parents been like, 
So my kids have gotten into anime. What should I tell them to watch? And I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> you don't want to ask Andy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Monogatari. Uh, Monogatari. Just watch. Yeah. Just put them, throw them in the pot. Yeah. Negatoro. Just boil just... them. Yeah. Uh, but, um... Oh, God. We're going to have to talk about Neg- Negatoro next episode. I'm so dreading it. It's so mean. Why? Anyway, keep I, moving. Anyway, um, the, and uh, I do think Netflix is doing a, a good job of, sub, of you know, subliming and submerging that stuff to make it more accessible because like maybe not demon slayer but definitely i've heard a lot of people who i wouldn't expect talk about anime talk about one punch man and be like that show fucking ruled but i still think there's uh i don't know that there's maybe uh i think a lot of the reason why people don't like it is probably because it's already been tarred with what i've heard people call as anime horniness um which i think is 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 abundant in anime it's not going to go away and it is a really quote-unquote big problem to mainstream it um yeah i, th- I think yeah. you're 100 percent right that that is mentioned in a, a chat earlier this week like i was talking to someone on just just a week ago and it was like oh yeah I, i'm watching this anime and they're like i never watch anime because it's all greasy and horrible and like the images that i get shown of it just make me squirm and i i don't want to watch this stuff the problem is like that's the thing how they're milking the most money out of it that they can in japan through serving it to the most hardcore of customers and that's what's stopping it it breaking out and maybe what andy said might be relevant with the stuff as netflix starts playing a bigger part in the production committees of these shows that they'll make a demand right less of this um horniness <laughs> damn it yeah it, it seems to be a, a creative decision that the creator has to opt into for there not to be fan service and i think that is why miyazaki has been able to persist as the dominant like if we look at the academy award for best animation starting in 2001 like First off, it's just like wall-to-wall Pixar. It's, yeah. it's wall-to-wall Pixar disc animation. It's really depressing, um, more so than I thought it would be. But like, there's only one animation studio, mm-hmm. one anime studio that's been repeatedly nominated or nominated at all, and it's Studio Ghibli with six films. And it's because uh, it's because Miyazaki and, to a lesser extent, Takahata are just not in, like either they're not interested in or they don't feel the financial pressures to include that kind of fan service. And therefore, it just it's got this reputation as safe anime. And I feel like a lot of a lot of the shock that we got when your name broke out is like, oh, there's other Japanese anime that has that has a little bit more Western sensibility about fan service and and the sexuality of its characters and so on and so forth. Um, And I don't know if anime is interested in most anime studios. I don't know if they're interested in targeting that market, because like, as you said, Duncan, there's just so much money in the occasional panty shot. So, and also, it doesn't help the fact that uh, even now, I still think a lot of shows, when they talk about Japan or anime, that's maybe like the news or something like that, they still will like revile uh, anime and being like, "How disgusting!" When like they talk sometimes, every now and then, you get a news story on Japanese Japan's 
declining birth rate and they'll be like it's because they're into that anime and look at this yeah. clip that anime has and then they show some disgusting shit from Mickey Tosa and you're just like yeah but you're not understanding <laughs> this is only indicative of a subgenre of anime yeah. you're being you're being a bit too I mean bit... in, in some ways what Andy says is, is, is right if we go back to what we're saying about even something which to us feels like a big hit like My Hero Academia still only getting like 4% of uh, television ratings when it airs on Japanese TV like the culture which yeah. produces anime is not anime itself it's 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 like we have to see this as anime as this product of a wider culture not that anime represents all of what Japanese culture can be yeah I've said this before like many times like anime like mainstream anime is or what we consider to be like anime is it's still rarely watched it's like midnight to two uh shows and like shonen shows will get a seven o'clock airing at least or six o'clock and then otherwise it's kids anime that we don't talk about like crayon shinchan doraemon uh sazai san like or pure or precure you know like the shows that we just as Either like we are, I mean, Precure is massive, and I know it's got a huge following, but I just know that we, as uh, as podcasters, we're not interested I mean, in that show. I, I've thought I've thought about it, but yeah, basically, <laughs> it's too massive now. Yeah, it's like you have it. to have somebody curate Precure for you. Pretty curation. Yeah. <laughs> well, I well uh, well, isn't Evirus and Evirus and Carnburn is like a long time devoted uh, Precure fan, so I'm pretty sure. He could guide me, although I think his stance is you should watch all of Pretty Cure. So, <laughs> I've had also, so that's not really that's not really curation so much as dereliction. I've had other Precure people tell me that, but I've also heard people who say the same thing about FGO, and I'm like, I'm not watching all the fantasy, uh, fate grand yeah, order, or whatever. Yeah, I, don't <clears> want, I, don't, I don't want horny female queen king arthur xb i don't <laughs> i don't know it's, it would just make me mad i'm enough of a historian enough of a of a of a tedious bore that it would make me angry and it would not turn out well so the the one show which we we sort of have talked about which pops up in japanese's own rankings with like big ratings is uh your own own favorite uh well one of your favorites one piece mm. and i i do kind of wonder if like well, I think you brought it up like One Piece doesn't has pretty like I I was commenting on on, on Doctor Stone's uh, 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 character design. <laughs> you came back. Well, One Piece is, has been doing that for years, and it's still like hugely mainstream. And I, and I wonder how like is it just because it's like an institution in Japan, like that it gets away with having these incredibly uh, sexualized used drawings of women and yet being aired mostly at kids yeah i think i think so i think in japan there's also the breakouts like another classic example is lupin i mean just look at how fujiko mine is represented in lupin it's rarely ever not with her tits out in some shape or form um but yeah no totally it's, it's like japan has its own breakout anime and then eventually maybe it will break out to the rest of the world but a show which is like what a thousand odd chapters long and 800 900 episodes that ain't coming over here anytime <laughs> soon i mean it tried and that's how four kids famously died uh, is it? Okay. <laughs> see i don't yeah, know this it, story do, do you want to quickly summarize it to quickly summarize it they uh they chopped up all of like the first 300 200 episodes uh <laughs> 
murdered it. They wanted one of the main characters, Sanji, not to smoke, so they put gave him a lollipop. Um, the famous, incredibly bad dub where um, Yo Ho Ho, they took a bite of gum gum, oh, yeah, you got have famous, uh, and then also they really rushed the story a lot. So you wouldn't, they didn't really bother with a lot of like getting the like getting their crewmates. So basically, all the worst sins that we would talk about when we're talking about an adaptation, yeah. they, they committed. Yeah. Nice. And, and <laughs> they just fucked it up in every way because they tried to censor it for kids, but they, ah, oh, it was bad. It's just a it, it's, it's the same treatment that Yu-Gi-Oh got where, like, no one dies, <laughs> he just go to the Shadow Realm. <laughs> go to the Shadow Realm. Fuck, I forgot about that. Even with Yu-Gi-Oh, Japan is more hardcore than America, or at least yeah. more hardcore than four kids. I mean, so. Yugi, Yami Yugi, when in the first like volume, he sets his hand on fire with like uh, whiskey. Like he's <laughs> he's a fucking badass. Well, I guess as badass as you expect. <laughs> I guess from... <laughs> from a man who plays a children's card game <laughs> for like real stakes. Let's try and move finish on maybe a more more opt- optimistic uh, note, which is is let's talk about the last big breakout hit which was your name um mm. which in 2016 came out of being a complete juggernaut in japan where it just crushed everything before it literally taking 25 percent of that year's uh, complete box office which is just incredible like by any standards yeah. and this was a film where you had a director who just absolutely nailed the zeitgeist at that time in, in in japan where he makes this film which touches on the ideas of uh national disasters and that was coming just five years after i think it was east coast um uh, tsunami and earthquake and where those wounds still hadn't fully healed in japan and shinkai has this habit of aiming his things at like people just at that borderline between adulthood and, and teenage years. Like, most of his characters seem to be set at that age. And I do wonder if, like, that's the perfect it's place to pitch your breakout hit because that's the, the moment where you get kids who still love anime and cartoons and haven't yet been told that these are childish things which you must leave behind. And I, I kind of wonder if, like, to it's it's... Super fans, it was this thing which spoke directly to the, who they were right then and to their families. It spoke to the trauma which people had undergone very recently and who also this idea of love separated by time and by distance. I think ev- everyone has some love which didn't end the way they wanted to. And it was a very universal concept. And I think when you look at both Your Name and Spirited Away, despite their fantastical um, contrivances, both are actually set with contemporary heroines or heroes. They're people who are easy way in. They're not someone who is other to us. And I wonder if Your Name maybe shows the way that the next breakout anime will come that it'll be contemporary instead of um fantasy or sci-fi like all these things which so often dominate the seasonal charts are never the things which will actually break into the, the mainstream yeah i mean i was i was gonna say i don't think any super fan is really gonna fucking go to their parents to be like mom dad you have to watch your like your name i think it got big because 
it's good like it's just a good movie it got reviewed well and also like the freaky friday aspect is something that really has died down recently and it was a fun little thing i don't know exactly why it got big i think that's it i'm not suggesting they're watching it but it's like the one of the things I, I watched as prep for this was the NHK did a, sh- a short documentary where they sort of just interviewed members of the public about it, and then uh, had a, a camera running in one screening. And like there, there was there was this this shot from it of just this like seventy year old man just breaking down in tears mid mid film, and it's like it obviously transcended its initial target audience in a way. And I think uh, as I say, like that that timelessness of its story like this thing where yeah you have teenage protagonists but because you have the that time skip element it allows people to immediately make that mental leap to their own past and to think about these things these people who they might have met or might not i just think it might have probably just reviewed well and, and it looked really pretty and it looks and visuals are a really big factor I do think that the coming of age aspect, I think that's actually honest, honestly why a lot of Ghibli films resonate is because the coming of age is, is a type of story where it seems to give a lot of Western audiences and probably even domestic audiences in Japan, a pretext for enjoying something childish because it's the story of a child growing out of their childishness and therefore watching a cartoon for children about how kids grow up feels like kind of a a self-absolving pretext for that sort of thing. And I think that your name is, is especially good at, and I think actually in, in general, Makoto Shinkai, like his whole jam, when you, when you talked about Duncan, about a relationship that didn't quite end how you wanted it to, like all of Makoto Shinkai's catalog is about like, man, I didn't, my, my, that one girlfriend, I did not end on great terms with her. And I, I think about her sometimes, or I wonder what that guy's doing. We haven't talked for five years um, but we used to be really close. Like that's his bread and butter. And so being able to have this extremely nostalgic movie that's literally about having this mystical connection with someone that just abruptly seems to stop and seems to be threatened by cataclysm, both emotional cataclysm and literal geopolitical cataclysm. Um, like I think that that was just special alchemy, alchemy. And it's been interesting that I've had people who saw your name and loved it. And I've tried to show them other stuff. I usually go with garden of words Um and people like it, they recognize the style and the quality, but they don't have the same connection. So I do think there's probably something special in the nexus of things that your name specifically touches upon and accidentally touches upon. Breaking into the mainstream is always an accident where Japanese sensibilities and the particulars of a given production line up with something the West is willing to see as legitimate. Um, and art qua art, as opposed to art through the lens of horny pervert hentai from that weird little island nation yeah but i would say i don't know like looking into the future i don't know what the next big breakout hit is going to be i don't think it's going to be demon slayer that's for fucking sure um but uh i do think that it is changing i think that the landscape is changing specifically because of the pandemic means that less people are being able to go out and also less people were able to film stuff especially safely and then on top of that adult Adult in square quotes cartoons like Family Guy uh, and Rick and Morty that sort of stuff is normalized and Simpsons like that is all normalized TV uh, cartoons to a more accepting general audience. Mm. 
And so hopefully, I don't know what the next big thing will be, but hopefully it will, you know, it's slowly getting there. Just like how video games were slowly getting there like 10 years ago. <laughs> I think this is also slowly, slowly getting there. We just got to wait. And then there'll be a, there'll be another boom, and it'll be a new golden age of anime. That's my prediction. That's my hope. And then we'll be here <laughs> riding the wave, being like, "Fucking told you guys all along." <laughs> the last thing I also think that meme culture is actually really beneficial in a way. Like everyone knows who JoJo is, and there's only one reason for that. And that's because it's been memed to fucking back. And I think you meme something enough, it will. Eventually, people come and search out its origins. That's and, true uh, of One Punch Man as well, <laughs> strangely. Yeah. Uh, but I would ask, conversely, uh, how many people watch G.I. Joe because those, like, G.I. Joe, like, hey, don't steal from a computer, that sort of <laughs> thing. Like, I want to ride my motorcycle. No one wants, like, meme, meme culture is a commodification that I think exists separately from the media culture that feeds into it. Like, people don't, people don't often row up, the river, row up the river, so to speak. I also think that... What we consider memes from like the early 2000s were seen by like 10,000 people instead of 10 million people by accident. <laughs> it was just orders of magnitude more impact from JoJo's memes versus things that we remember from kids. I wonder how the viewing figures of VTubers compare to airing anime. Oh, VTubers. <laughs> yeah. VTubers are nuts. I mean, if we wanted to actually break out to mainstream, we should be doing a VTuber podcast right now and not an anime one uh, <laughs> but we're not we going to be, do or we should be vtubers <laughs> we tubers we could do a whole episode on vtubers it's a fascinating thing i find it would be a... an episode where i would not talk so there's that <laughs> also maybe that's what maybe that's what our fans want i mean write us in and tell us <laughs> frames podcast at gmail.com you want to have andy talk about like weird vtuber culture or whatever it is weird but there's a vtuber <laughs> anime coming out before we know it and mm-hmm. that's gonna be interesting i mean there's an anime about everything the second vtuber anime i should add sorry not the first there's already <laughs> been one but this is the one that people care about because it's got the the vtubers that people give a fuck about who aren't ichan the way to watch vtubers is in highlight reels it's much like baseball like yeah. there's just there's too much to actually watch all of it you just have to find somebody else to curate it for you okay well on that note let's go ahead and stop and when we come back we will well speaking of uh jojos and meme culture we'll be starting with duncan talking about skate the infinity skinfinity <sighs> skate with an eight duncan looks grim and tired which is really promising for the synergy of the second half of this podcast <laughs> all right see you in a bit And we're back. Duncan, what is Skinfinity? <laughs> God, that's the, that's the worst. Fucking name. <laughs> Skate the Infinity? That's it. Yeah. Because it, it. it's, it's the, the real way it's styled is SK and then eight. an 8 on its side for Infinity, which is pretty metal. I mean, I mean I'd say it's like 40% metal. Fucking awesome. Duncan. <laughs> I mean... Duncan. I'm not saying I didn't have the exact same reaction to you guys when I first saw this, and that's probably why I didn't watch it till the end of the last season. Um, so, Skate the Infinity is 
a dumb tournament arc <laughs> dragged out over uh, 12 episodes by the director of uh, Free with the same boy love uh, shenanigans going on amongst its cast with a vi- main villain voiced by the uh, voice actor most well-known for Dio in JoJo's and basically just one-for-one one doing that voice he's, he's, <laughs> and hamming it up to ten. Um, it's also great. It is. <laughs> it's like that... that if you see like this incredibly over the top ice cream sundae with like everything piled on and you think oh that's just way too much but that one time you do order it you go wow i don't regret this at all this is great whoever came up with the scenario and script for skate i think has a strong reverence for like tony hawk era uh california uh, skate scenes and i <laughs> They are obviously Is there any with... other type of skate scene? I don't think so. <laughs> and maybe the closest touchstone I can think of in anime is like maybe Eureka 7 in the way that it has this reverence for the culture around um, uh, surfing. Skate is just very much into both the music and the uh, fashions as along with mixing in its own completely over-the-top uh, character designs. The way I described it to to someone uh, was as um, basically wrestling where you have all these these people who know their stock roles. You've got the heel, you've got the prodigy, and it just has fun with that. It doesn't try and do it that much more sophisticated. It's just all about enjoyment. It technically has a plot, which I feel the need to put air quotes around, is that they're running a downhill race off the books, away from the cops, in a down this big mountain and through this rundown factory, where which they've put filled with uh, fireworks and uh, lights and like Robot Wars meets um, gladiators, is is what the course looks like. It's it's this huh. completely unrepentantly of of the time gone by aesthetic, mm-hmm. and that's just kind of refreshing. Because its plot is just, there's a young guy who really loves this sport. He meets, meets someone who doesn't yet realise he's a prodigy. They enter the e- skate tournament. And mm-hmm. they, the evil all, all skater uh, notices the prodigy and decides to challenge him. And then hijinks ensue. I, I kind of like that it doesn't have the pretense to, to care about anything other than this tournament arc. It's just, okay, do you love skating? And... If the answer is yes, good. And if if you're skating for a reason other than love skating, bad, bad. Yeah. Thumbs down. And that that's as deep as How it gets. How dare you make money from skating? Yeah. <laughs> or in this case, it's like, oh, he's he's skating used to be this this guy's uh, escape from his uh, uh, suffocating parents and his, the expectations they placed upon him, and then one day. They found out about it and burnt his skateboard, and then he became, <laughs> and he became a BMX. He, he just suppressed his skateboarding until 
when he had become rich enough, he then becomes this Jojo motherfucker in a Matador's co- costume and uh, <laughs> with a giant heart as his uh, his symbol. And and his his special move is the love hug, where he tap dances around on his skateboard and turns it so it seems to go uphill but we know that's only an optical illusion he's not really doing of course. it <laughs> i just love just how dumb and how unrepentantly so it was and it's just for at least the first half and parts of the final incredibly well animated the first first episode is honestly as, as good as anything else i saw last season on a one-to-one episode it c- couldn't maintain that for the whole thing i very few shows do but for that one episode it was just in incredibly beautiful sense of lighting like they there's a scene where one of them goes off a ramp and there's fireworks going off around him and they just have him flying through those going off side by side and they slow it down it's just very 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 pretty it's sometimes you you just want to have that that eye candy those extra sprinkles right yeah and it's a it's a show along with wondering priority these two shows that had like really high artistic standards that were original tv anime no source material yeah. the, the the first example of it is the anime and both of them kind of their budgets bottomed out because it's just it's really hard to do that sort of thing without the backing of a katakawa or something yeah. to like give you the deep pockets when when the stuff gets hard but i think that skate the infinity i've understood that skate the infinity came out of it a bit looking a bit better than just like the weird claps and then uh even the recap episode or Wonder Egg. I think there was definitely a, a section in the mid where you could see the budget was being stretched and then they sort of recovered their form. But there were th- things intrinsic to it, like the fact that every episode took place in and around this this course they were skating down meant they could just reuse backgrounds. They didn't have to mm-hmm. to be having all that stuff drawn. And that you have a really small cast of characters. I think it's about seven seven in total. Which was, was kind of funny because they get to the quarterfinals and it's it's the seven main characters plus one random scrub who was like called George or something. It's <laughs> go get him, George, and he, he gets just completely destroyed in the first race. And it was, right. it was kind of like the poor poor red shirt. How are they fighting? This is what I don't understand. Like how? So it's no rules barred skateboarding, Andy. You can do whatever you want. You can throw fireworks at someone or you can can literally step off your skateboard and swing it like a bat at someone. Right, okay. But do do only bad guys do that, I assume? Only bad guys do that. Those who truly love skating would not. Would never get off their boards. Only those those who have become bitter and, and only care about winning. They just shoot them. I don't think oh, anyone un- pulls a gun on anyone, but it's not beyond the realm of of, of uh, escalation. So it's since... like that really old uh, game Road Rash. And uh, where they're, they're also between races have smouldering uh, eye-to-eye contact, which uh, can be construed however you may wish. Um, yeah. And many ships were made. Um, <laughs> I, I've heard it, it kind of got not a, a great reception overall in terms of like it, its audience and I, I kind of wonder if like you have this thing which has this this reverence for 90s skate culture and a very specific aesthetic which is, isn't kind of current anymore and then you add to it this strong boys love of undercurrent and homoeroticism 
and uh, there's a, there's definitely queer baiting going on. There's no other way to put it. Like, yeah. I, I I kind of what what I almost wonder what um, if it's a show which didn't get a show in an audience and it didn't interest the people who loved free. And it seems like considering how fishy its boys are and how oh they like to stare into each other's eyes deeply that would have been an easy sell and i I wonder why they didn't go for it uh i don't know this 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 one i think it's a a really fun thing and and i think if any of you ever just fancy you dipping into something which is incredibly intricately animated and has like one of the best senses of light and an object's place in a space. Those are all, all things this does spot on. And it can be enjoyed just as this quick thing, you, this this 12 episodes you scoff down and and get the sugar rush from, and it's all good. Cool. Well, um, speaking of sugar rushes, <laughs> Andy, tell us about Odd Taxi. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, because uh, it feels like this is very much the opposite side of, like, what anime can do in that uh, whilst Gate Infinity is larger than life, this is a really odd show that happened started this season, so only two episodes in um, at the time of recording. And it's, uh, it's a show about a taxi man driving around, picking up people. Um, and then... It's worth saying it's an anthropomorphic uh, taxi yeah, man. Yeah, so he's a, he's a walrus taxi man. And like cuckoo choo choo, <laughs> uh, a walrus. Is a, so yeah, he is a, a walrus taxi man who's anthropomorphic. Thank you. Way to muddy down my uh, description, and <laughs> it sort of feels very sort of low key, very realistic, very uh, sort of very like real, like a real person driving. Like you can, he's very deadpan. He's very like not interested in life, or so it seems. But then it also comes to. Um, it also then has throughout the first episode it has um, uh, this sort of subplot about a, a, a high schooler going missing and then this taxi man may or may not have kidnapped this high schooler meanwhile you get a bunch of other odd characters who sort of interact with him uh, you get Rui who's a, a idol um, who you get Shirakawa who's a llama nurse uh, Gokuri who uh go riki sorry um who's like the doctor who he sees uh and kahiha uh, uh kakihana who seems to be his best friend who's just permanently in love um and they all sort of like and then also these this cop this cop duo who all sort of seem to be like um somehow revolving around this incident of this person going missing but you don't know what it is, and the show does not want to tell you what it is. It does. It has like no interest, and instead will very happily watch uh, two old men in the Walrus and the Doctor talk about how the modern generation, how they shouldn't like you know, appropriate appropriate uh, the generation gap because we have never used a tape a reel to reel tape recorder, but we know how that works because of TV and all this really funny deadpan comedy. And then mixed hmm. in this very strange, very low-key, um, like, mystery about a woman child being disappearing. And I've been trying to sort of do, think of what the closest thing I can, like, the closest show it could be. But I would say it's closest to something like Durara in the fact that it's got 
all these characters, a large cast of characters um, that all seem to be revolving around a single incident. And they're all sort of fantastic and lovable and wonderful. And like, I'm literally there for the ride. It's beautiful. Uh, it's, and also talking about like OPs, it's got an OP that it's got this really low fi, like um, low, like BPM sort of lazy rap. And that perfectly gets you into the mood of the series because that's perfectly the pacing that it is doing. And it really blew me away. Like, it really surprised me. I was not expecting anything from this show when I put it on. Uh, and it just shocked me how funny it is, how well animated it is, and just how intriguing it is. Uh, you guys' thoughts? <laughs> the, the anthropomorphic aspect of it is interesting, too, because it's almost more like a Gretzko in that it's almost incidental that everybody mm. is an animal. There, yeah. it, it isn't like a Beastars where they're, like, they're saying something about, oh, this guy's a predator and this guy's a, a pack animal or anything like that. It's just... The, the doctor is a gorilla. The, like there's nurse a, a nurse is a, a llama. So what? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also weird thing in the OP is that it shows, cause like they, they imply that the, the high school girl is like a cat person. Mm-hmm. And there is a moment in the OP where yeah. the, where the taxi driver is interacting with like an, a normal cat and not like a cat person. And it's like, okay, is is that supposed to be her? Is that something else? Is that just a red herring? And the, yeah, like there's this, there's this like this is kind of like this air of like weird mystery going on in the background, and you you're and you're heightened to it because you're like, okay, so there's animal people. Why are there animal people? Why is there normal animals? But like you were saying, like ninety nine percent of the show is just these like goofy, like comedy routines being done you know talking about like who's the mvp of we are the world and stuff like that <laughs> yeah and you know there's a, like the big i think the big players are definitely like this gangster guy called dobu who appears at the very end holding a gun of like a, mm-hmm. otherwise a very classic like peaceful comedy skit stuff uh and then these two police cops who just seem to like raid his car and then just be like but don't go to the police about this okay like all this yeah. really weird like stuff like they're all in the know. It's interesting that this has basically come from a, a nothing comp- mm-hmm. a company with no track record and a director. Similarly, it's it's basically his first full length thing, and it seems incredibly sure footed for that. Yeah. Like it's it feels like this thing which is just kind of unfurling, like just this this story which is just the tellers almost don't know where it's going as much as we do, mm. like it. it not quite stream of consciousness but has that feel of something which is not quite is not just driven forward towards a specific aim like the, there's stuff happening and it's all going on on but it's that's not what's pushing it forward it's just the routine his daily routine his job is just just the thing doing it it's it's it's, in, it's a very intriguing show it, and I haven't seen anything quite like it for a while. To what it's worth, it's got the producers is uh, Pony Canyon, who's done loads of stuff. So I guess they've got reasonably deep product, uh, pockets. But yeah, it, it's such a strange and intriguing show that even though we're not talking about the new season, I really wanted to highlight this as something that is an almost definite watch and it's already risen to the top of my list. This, uh, and I really, I don't know where it's going, but I'm fascinated to find out. Um, so yeah, odd taxi. Go fucking watch it. It's beautiful. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, something I watched that was actually beautiful uh, a few weeks ago, I brought it up briefly that I'd watched My Neighbor, the Amadas after making the awful joke. I mean, actually, the fairly predictable joke that that, uh, that oh, man, I love Pompoko, that that Asao Takahata movie about uh, Tanuki scrotums. Next, I'll be watching My Neighbor, the Amadas, a feature length family sketch comedy. And I'm here to tell you uh, in, in like a, a aggrieved but overjoyed voice that this is a really good movie. It's very charming. Um, it really is literally just. 90 minutes of family sketch comedies with this this five person family, the mother, the father, the older brother, the younger daughter and the the mother's mother who lives with them and then their dog, I guess. The dog doesn't play much of a role. And it's fundamentally a show about um, how exciting it is to, like, build a life with someone and build a family with them and how so many different things come out of these small decisions just to commit yourself to someone else and to commit to like raise someone into an adult it's a very it's very nostalgic about family while also being pretty funny and like and just like the dad's hard working um but a little bit thick the mother is is forgetful and always looking to cut corners the older brother is is lazy and bad at school but is expected to be like a high achiever who'll carry the family forward and the younger daughter just mostly gets ignored by, by everybody, which is kind of a shame. And I found out that the manga that's based on, which is called Nono-chan um, was actually retooled to be mostly about her because she was the most popular character, <laughs> which makes it really, really interesting that she has such a small presence in the, in the movie. But then again, the movie, well, no, and never mind. The uh, the retooling happened in 1997 and the movies made in 1999, but I guess most of the material still was from when it was more of an ensemble piece. But yeah, it's got several fantastic adventures that actually put me in a lot of mind of uh, uh, the tale of Princess Kaguya, where they like they're leaving the uh, their wedding reception and then like they turn into a boat together and they're sailing the boat and they go through a storm and it's this whole metaphor for marriage. And at the very end, there's this very nostalgic song, uh, scene where they're singing K Sera Sera as like all the characters you've met in the movie are like, flying off in the sky and dancing together in couples. Um, I love Isao Takahata. I will watch anything he's made, which is probably now on the record going to lead me to have to watch like Anne of Green Gables or fucking something. And mm. I'm not thrilled about that, but like I've been proven repeatedly wrong with being like, even Isao Takahata can't make me care about this subject matter. And then I watch the movie and I'm like, oh, hey, it's, it's really good. <laughs> so yeah, my neighbor, the, my neighbor's the Amadas. Check it out. <laughs> well, speaking of recommendations, <laughs> yeah, um, a couple days ago, I we were talking about the the feature of this episode, and I insisted on calling Princess Mononoke Mononoke repeatedly, and I was informed that actually there is another show called Mononoke, um, and so I went and checked it out because it is weird as hell, and it is pretty interesting. It's uh, it's a spinoff of a. Uh, another show called like Samurai Horror Tales, uh, Ayakashi, and it's got kind of a mushishi rhythm mm-hmm. to it where there's like, you know, like a traveling uh, expert who gets involved with like, you know, local ghost stories. And his whole thing is I need to know the. Uh, what is it? The like, like the shape, the truth and the reasoning of 
this ghost and then he can like unsheathe this magical sword that will instantly kill it. So a lot of it is, you know, sort of a detective story of them trying to figure out what this ghost wants before it gets what it wants because typically it's to kill people. And, but the presentation of it is very sort of more reminiscent of a like experimental animation where everything is like, it's quite off putting like the, uh, the pacing is very sort of slow and deliberate and unsettling. And the the look is sort of like an animated uh, woodcut so that it's, you know, it at, at times it almost like comes across like a, like a motion comic rather than like a proper animation. But, but for the most part, like it, and, and, and it doesn't really seem like it's doing it as a way of like cutting corners, like a Yamishibai or something like that. But the, uh, the overall effect is very, very good. Like it's, you know, it's, it's similar sort of superficially to Mushishi, but it's very much like it's, it's much sort of more raw and more like unsettling. And then if, if you're look and you know, we've talked about like, you know, there isn't any good horror anime. And I would say this probably qualifies. It's like one of the more decent that I've seen, even though it's it's not like a like a splatter fest, it's mostly just like here's a creepy ghost story. Let's get to the bottom of this and let's un- uncover a lot of you know these like sort of like dark tales that you know would have mm. would have inspired these you know in real life. You know I don't want to go too too much into the the plots of them, but I would say like check it out if you're into like you know more experimental, more uh, more unsettling anime. If you've mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like Monoke probably suffers from just coming out a couple of years after Mushishi. Uh, otherwise, yeah. I think it would have a far more um, sterling reputation. Like, because it's visually original. Like, you mm-hmm. see that, that from the, the very first moment they're moving across the screen. But because Mushishi did that theme so, so well, mm-hmm. and just kind of nailed it itself as the gold standard of creepy ghost stories. I don't think it doesn't have the subtlety to e, e, but it has, as you say, it's definitely a more has more menace to it than Mushishi manages at times. Mm-hmm. And I think people preferred chilling out to strange tales than being freaked out by weird tales. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, I guess I yeah. should like in the interest of being a good curator, uh the slight content warning of the first arc, it is about the ghosts of aborted babies. So and they and they sort of go hard on that. So, you know like I said, like it is unsettling and like it maybe, you know, just tread carefully. <laughs> I it, what Duncan says makes sense because having a reputation as as weirder, edgier Mushishi is probably just like I don't know. I I can't imagine a lot of people being really drawn to that niche if it's been delineated in that way. So. Yeah, weird and more experimental as well. Is is and it's all true, but and that's why it's worth seeking out. Still, its place in the anime canon is as a as a dead end, as something where someone tried something completely different and succeeded but no one liked it. Although mm. people, no, people liked it, but people just didn't like it enough to make more of it. And yeah. if you if you want 
if weird evolutionary dead ends of anime fascinate you, then go for it. And as you, from our recent tweens on uh, Escaflone shows, uh, we are very much uh, people who like uh, weird evolutionary dead ends in anime. But um, it, it feels to me like just reading over it that that feels like is there really anything more to do? It's a complete. It's a complete bit of fiction. Yeah. Um, but even then, like, there, there's nothing else that really even looks like it. It's not mm-hmm. even okay, like trying yeah. to do the yeah. same thing. I mean, if, if stuff if stuff breaks out. The anime industry will gleefully drill it into the ground. Like how much how much juice do you think was was an isekai before the anime industry started making twenty isekai a season? Like not much, and we're finding every single niche of it. With oh no, my mom got got sucked into the isekai with me too, and <laughs> oh no, I have a cell phone in an isekai. That's pretty cool, huh? So I, I like this season's uh, like non non biori. Uh, isekai that it's trying to do with uh, 300 slimes. This is the season of chilled isekai, which we will get to next week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, we will. But and on the should... farthest <laughs> side of, from away from on the, uh, the spectrum from <laughs> something like Mononoke, I also watched We Never Learn, a.k.a. Bokuben. And I, before a we show I really like because yeah. it's trash. And I, and I, yeah. I, Jeff, I you're, you better be prepared for battle mode because Andy's <laughs> going to be attacking you nonstop with every single opinion you make. And I, I just uh-huh. want to say that I, 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 I upfront admitting that this is me complaining that the gazpacho is cold. Like I understand this about my argument. So the reason I watched this is because I was waiting for a new job to start, and so I had a whole bunch of time on my hand. And Crunchyroll was like, "Hey, you like to eat, eat trash." How about this? And I was like, oh, okay. I've, I've heard that was pretty good. Um, and it was, we never learn. And it's a very, very simple show. It Clearly is you like... don't. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I've, I've, any kind of, like, firm, like, like, promise that I make in this will almost certainly be broken. It's probably already been broken. But we'll mm-hmm. cover that next week. Um, so, yeah, it's like this very... You know, like hardworking but very poor student is promised a free ride to the college of his choice if he takes these three very very like gifted girls and you know who all for you know their own reasons are determined to you know study in areas that are not in their wheelhouse and if he gets them you know into the schools they want to get to or and it is none too t- subtly implied this is the preferred option get them to give up on their goals and just go with the thing that they're already talented at you know he will get this free ride and you know as the whole show is just him like trying to help these girls and you know oops however it is also a harem anime with like the lucky perverts just like constantly you know accidentally you know being in the girls change room accidentally you know seeing them in the bathtub because they're talking on the phone and somebody you know that's, somehow that's managed wild, to turn on one. a video that's fucking <laughs> wild i i don't know who the fuck thinks that she she's in the bath and then thinks yeah i'm gonna pick up this call his only voice she he'll never know <laughs> and then he somehow yeah. on facetime switches on the video and she's uh very embarrassed it's it's insane yeah. that like level of like a lucky pervert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like a good, like 50% of the show, it's like, you know, one of the, you know, there's like the science girl who's very short, but she's got really big boobs and she's really d- sad about getting an E on one of her tests, but her friends think she's talking about her cup size. And then later on oh, the 
you know, she's talking to the tutor, who's the main character, and he's talking about her test scores, and she's like, why is he talking about my cup size? And, like, this is, like, half an episode of this joke. Classic, classic shonen etchy boob jokes. They're, like, yeah. part and parcel. Like, have Just you... constantly thinking about your own about your own boobs, which is something that people definitely do. I, yeah. I, I, and I, thinking about how yeah. big they are. I know, mean, Galco, <laughs> Galco-chan did it. Like and actually, it was quite funny. Gauko but Galco Chen <laughs> treats the women as real people rather than <laughs> like true. insane shonen parodies. That's true. But that's the that's thing. That's true. the thing. Like when the show is not doing that, I like the characters. I'm invested in the story. I like the thing of like you know these are people who had you know they were gifted and they've never really had to work hard and now they want to and everybody's telling them to give up and. That story is a, a decent story, and I was being carried along by this, but I was just so frustrated by like the constant, like ten fifteen minute like diversions into these like ridiculous tropes, which is what the show is for. And yep. this is why I say like I know that this is like I, I'm complaining about the wrong thing because I've like you know I've intentionally walked into this show knowing exactly what it was supposed to be and just like why you know why is this all this other stuff that the show is supposed to be about happening when in <laughs> The things that I like are just like, you know, sort of incidentally there to get, you know, to just fill time between the boob jokes. I, I mean, I've completely <laughs> forgotten that he was promised a, a position like his scholarship into his to the new school, which isn't a shoo-in. He's a really clever guy. And I think that there's, a, like you said, there's a lot of sweetness and charm that comes from it. And then mm-hmm. eventually it goes off the rails when he finds like four other people who are romantically interested in him. Um, yeah. But yeah, I... I don't know what you're expecting, Jeff. You're an idiot. I, I, I mean, like, I, I <laughs> my, 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 my knowledge of the show was this show was popular. I recognize a couple of these characters from, like, image macros. And I am, like, you know, sort of into, like, romance stuff. Like, I didn't, I don't think I realized how much of a just straight up, like, Lucky Perv yeah. harem show it yeah. was. But like, and like early on, it hooked me and I was like, okay, like, I like the fact that one of the girls is like mostly there as a wingman for the other two who are like secretly, you know, who are both secretly going after him. And there's, and she's constantly being mistaken for like the number one girl. And she's like, no, trust me, that's not the case. (laughs) And like, that's, that's a good gag. That's a good joke. And like yeah and i was just like i like i want i just want it to be a different show and it's frustrating that it's not a different show and i think it's it i think this might get me to stop expecting the wrong thing if not like stop watching these kinds of shows i mean I, yeah I, I, we'll lose we'll lose a lot of our content if you do that so <laughs> oh not. don't worry i'm gonna still like i said any promise that i make during this segment is almost certainly a lie it feels like you're gonna be disillusioned with all these types of shows because it's exactly that like even nisekoi is the same sort of thing of like like never getting to the point never getting to the joke because they don't they at the end of the day mangakas need to eat so they need to fucking yeah. Yeah. like yeah. <laughs> they need yeah the number the number of times in in nisekoi i don't I, I didn't talk about this much because i just kind of watched it in between shows and then like got my steam out about it before we'd record an episode but the number of times that like a new girl shows up and she just fucking has a key too for for the main guy's <laughs> dumb locket like honestly i think you would probably of all of these you'd probably enjoy nisekoi because at least it's being made by shaft and shinbo jeff yeah but god it's so like every time there's any forward momentum like a new girl shows up and and she's hot and she has a key too and the main guy's like oh shit maybe she's the one with the key and it's like 
there are like five girls in your life at this point who have keys, dude. You need to find a different, <laughs> a different, a different rubric for like why you let women in your life. Stop handing out keys, you dumb fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's it's so transparent and like it can be done well. Like I think Torador does it does it well of having a mm-hmm. fairly organic harem where like you understand why these people are friends besides the the like the plot bullshit. But man, when it's not done well, you are just like, why are these people hanging out? Why are they talking to each other? They all suck so bad. Yeah. Or you just lean right into it and make like a hog and eye where it's like, this is the point. We're making fun of this. Yeah. This is the point. But also, oops, isn't it funny and hot and cool? Yeah. Yeah. And like, and I've also just got to the point where like, I, I almost prefer it when the main guy is just a horny dirtbag and not just like a gynophobic, like guy who just accidentally happens to like grab all of his female friends boobs or see their underwear, you know, out of, you know, due to circumstances completely out of his control, but he still gets punched in the face anyways. Cause it's like, there's at least a, there's an honesty there that this show just refuses to acknowledge that what it, what it wants to do. And, and, and it just frustrates me by being enjoyable when it's not doing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I get that. Like at a certain point you're watching someone be beat up for something that's not his fault on an episode basis. And that bums me out. Even if it is him accidentally molesting his friends over and over, please don't play this at my trial for whatever I get arrested <laughs> for. But, but like, oh, no, this is I like, for a lot like, of uh, a lot of parking tickets, but listen to this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, this person clearly has extremely weak moral fiber. No, just like if someone's going to get yelled at, I want them to deserve it. And there is like harem anime has so much like misunderstanding and mistaken identities that at a certain point I'm just like, I just want this to end. And I don't like feeling that about a show unless I'm like, it's like Wonder Egg priority and I'm worried that they're going to fuck it up. So I'm like, please hurry up and end so that I don't have to live on this knife's edge for the rest of my life. But yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I heard Boku Ben was frustrating and I'm not surprised that I both not surprised that you found it frustrating, Jeff, and that Andy's like, no, it's fine. It's fine, dude. Yeah, I, I would say <laughs> you're, you're being too you're being too picky. <laughs> if you want uh, a show that is kind of that, but also really dumb and funny, uh, I would suggest my mental choices are completely interfering with my school romantic comedy, which is totally <laughs> lucky uh pervert stuff but also is about a guy who um is forced by a weird god to make either one or two choices uh otherwise he gets into severe pain and it's quite funny because you know you know he's about to do something really awkward and horrible and he knows it and he doesn't want to fucking do it but he has to do it otherwise he's going to be because god otherwise he's going to make him do it because god's torturing him otherwise and it's dumb and it's funny. And uh, yeah, I I would maybe think that's... And it's also only like 10 episodes and it's never getting a second season. But for those 10 episodes, it's a wild ride. But also full of the lucky pervert shit that you either hate or love. Um, which is also the problem with mainstream. Why anime is not going to get mainstream. Because it's yeah, 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 precisely. <laughs> Brought it back right around, right around to the beginning. God made so me I'm... do it does definitely sound like a plea bargain. <laughs> God or the invisible hand of the market made me yeah. made me put in this fan service. Yeah, yeah. The, so. yeah, the God is just his editor when he was writing the manga, trying to do something else. It is funny. Like I, I think the first thing is it's like he introduces himself at school, and it's like it's either 
you get naked or you jump on the desk and start barking like a dog. And he just is like, well, I don't want to get naked, so I guess I'm doing this. Yeah, I, I, had, the, I had the exact same thing there. I'm like, nope, not getting naked at school. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you can come back from one of those, I think. It's really Maybe. weird. It's a really weird show. It's so funny, though. What did he do to deserve this? How did he anger God? Uh, Duncan's getting sucked in. Duncan's getting sucked in. <laughs> I can't remember. I remember a woman, I think the like the female one of the female interests falls from the sky on him and he she may or may not be related to God. I think I honestly can't remember. He pissed him so off. So he he, he annoyed somehow. God. Yeah. He he gets he gets cursed by a curse called absolute choices. Zetai Sintakushi. <laughs> It's dumb, but it's really funny. And uh I I would say I think I've spoken to it on this podcast before. It's it, you, you probably enjoy that more than Bokuben, because also Bokuben is like three seasons. Bokuben really three seasons? Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that, Andy. There's at least two. I don't know if Jesus. there's three. I should have cut this off when we were when we got back to the to our discussion topic, mm-hmm. but I'll I'll do it now. Uh, let's end the t- <laughs> the talk there, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Pod. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions. Email us crappy shonen <clears throat> harem dirtbag shows that we'll make Jeff and Andy watch and uh-huh. then and then do a, a roundtable on at uh, Keyframes Podcast at gmail dot com. And of course, uh. Invite a friend to watch uh, Your Name with you. Do something a bit, a little bit more harmless, and then listen to our podcast. But skip the second half where we talk about uh, where we talk about Baku Ben. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I would say also don't tell any friend. Tell the friend uh, who likes to shorten shows down to like four syllables. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of friends I have. All right, say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.